0: Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. This shortwave report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on a shortwave radio and the Internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcasts at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast or a computer or smartphone with an Internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's out. FarPress.com. You can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, Russia's Sputnik Radio, NHK Japan, and Radio Havana, Cuba. We will begin with Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. COVID infections and deaths are on the rise in much of Europe, and the UK has authorized the use of a new COVID medication. The COP26 climate summit has been one of the major topics in international news, with most of it focusing on the politicians and their agreements on methane deforestation and now coal. Deutsche Welle spoke with many youth activists. Here is a woman from Poland speaking about the difference between what the citizens demand and what the government says. The UK led 190 nations and organizations to agree to cease using coal for electrical production by 2030. The US, China and India did not sign the pact. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle.
1: Germany has just recorded its highest ever tally of daily coronavirus infections. Nearly 34,000 new cases have been recorded within 24 hours, the biggest count since the pandemic began. Well, German health minister now says those who refuse to get vaccinated could face tougher measures or tougher rules, rather. And it seems that nudge is making some reconsider. And in other pandemic news, a temporary COVID hospital is reopening near Moscow as Russia faces a surge in coronavirus cases and deaths. The country reported a record high death toll on Thursday and daily infections rose to more than 40,000. The UK has granted conditional authorization for an antiviral pill, which can be used to treat mild to moderate cases of COVID-19. It's the first country to approve the treatment. The drug, monopiravir, has been licensed for adults with the virus who have at least one risk factor for becoming seriously ill.
2: Despite the day's big promises, climate activists say world leaders are not pulling in the same direction to ensure enough is done to avoid catastrophic global warming.
3: And we're joined now from the COP26 summit in Glasgow by Dominika Lasota, a Polish climate activist with the Fridays for Future movement. Thanks for being with us this morning. Dominika, are you convinced that your voice is being heard by leaders in Glasgow?
4: To be honest, absolutely not. I think what we are seeing from those two days of COP so far is that the activists, especially from the global south, are being erased by international media and their voices really have been undermined. And this voice of young people has so far not been the main one and not especially it has not been heard by the world leaders. We have been given so many empty promises that it is really hard for me to see anything, um, I would say, constructive coming out of this COP so far.
3: Well, you say you haven't seen anything constructive coming out of it. We just heard pledges there from world leaders about reducing methane and stopping deforestation. What do you make of those pledges that have been made so far?
4: It's hard for me to believe in the fact that there's something different, because we've seen such pledges made in years ago. Um, and most importantly, we've seen the biggest pledge, the Paris Agreement, signed six years ago. And so far, only one country is on the track to actually fulfill it.
3: Let's talk about your country for a moment, Poland. uh, It generates 70% of its uh, energy from coal. It has uh, large coal mines that employ lots of people. How much support is there in Poland for transitioning to a less carbon-intensive energy future?
4: Surprisingly, there's an incredible support, actually, to phase out coal by 2030 in Poland. We see that the public support for that is nearly 80%. But what isn't there still is the political willingness to actually step up and do it. For the past year, we've seen the Polish government doing everything they can to actually bind us to coal. We've seen this sort of public agreement that they signed with the coal lobby uh, to bind us to coal to 2049, which is absolutely unbelievable unacceptable and you can this is quite symbolic and you can see that the government very much is detached from the people you know we we see the polish government doing everything in contrast to that when it comes to democratic principles but coal is is a similar story and that is why young people in poland like me we are protesting we're doing everything we can to you know to to step over and to. To end this impasse that our government is is putting us in and to really start talking very boldly about coal phase-up by 2030, which is what the science tells us to do.
3: The UK government says some 190 nations and organizations will today promise to quit using coal to produce electricity. The announcement will be made at the COP26 climate summit in Glasgow. Countries, including Poland, Vietnam and Chile, are expected to join the commitment to phase out coal-fueled power generation and stop building new power plants domestically and internationally. But some of the world's biggest users of coal, including China, India and the U.S., have not signed up to the plan, and critics say it gives countries too much leeway to pick their own phase-out date. Coal is the most polluting fossil fuel, and emissions from burning it are a major contributor to climate change.
0: Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, DW.com, as well as on YouTube at their channel called DW News. Next, Sputnik Radio. On his program called Going Underground, host Afshin Ratansi spoke with Lord Dieben at COP26. Deben is the chairman of the UK Independent Committee on Climate Change and advises Boris Johnson. Dieben is enthusiastic about the summit, very critical about the absence of Russian and Chinese leaders, though their negotiators were there and involved. In the excerpt here, he discusses Boris Johnson's climate hypocrisy on coal and oil development, the possibility of fraud in net-zero claims, and regenerative farming. Sputnik Radio.
5: First to our continuing coverage of COP26, the UN Climate Change Summit in Glasgow. Despite showy speeches, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson has had a rocky start to the summit, being questioned on his commitment to the environment in the face of a new coal mine in Cumbria, a budget that cut taxes on flying dissent within his own party regarding pumping raw sewage into rivers and a nuclear submarine deal with Australia that arguably lets the country off the hook when it comes to net zero. So what does the man advising Boris Johnson's government think of all the alleged hypocrisy? Lord Deben is the chairman of the UK's Independent Committee on Climate change he was conservative party chairman under Margaret Thatcher and the longest-ever serving UK Secretary of State for the environment he joins me now from the summit in Scotland in in Glasgow tell us about the summit because everyone here is going methane success forestry success the whole thing is a great success
2: well no we don't know yet do we? until they finish it but at this stage we do have some very major improvements uh, uh, not least the uh, willingness of uh, governments to sign up to stop uh, deforestation, which is something that Russia has signed up to. I'm sorry that Russia has refused to sign up to methane because uh, the reduction of methane is a hugely important thing, but other nations have done that. And there's a very significant improvement in what people have offered. So it looks to me as if we are going to have a reasonable success. We we left Paris with looking as if we were going towards a level of about uh, three degrees increase in our temperatures, which would have been disastrous. I think we might get it down to under two and a half degrees in this conference, which means we're going to be on the way to getting it down to 1.5, which really matters.
5: Yes, there's been a lot of talk, certainly in NATO countries, of the absence of Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin. Um, Is is that not quite uh, accurate in the sense that their negotiators are still there at the summit? They just didn't appear at the photo opportunity which launches uh, COP summits. One of the
2: advantages of these summits is that uh, other people are able to bring pressure to bear. And uh, countries like uh, China and and Russia are unused to their leaders
5: being brought to task by other leaders. So I'm sorry they're not here. How can Boris Johnson tell other countries to do what he wants other countries to do when there are 40 fossil fuel new projects on the table, which would emit 1.3 billion tonnes of greenhouse emissions, three times existing UK emissions. Of course, talking of the Cambo oil field, uh, 30 other offshore oil and gas projects, seven onshore. Um, any, any success at stopping Boris Johnson uh, uh, having Shell Oil, which is known for its work in Nigeria, out-of-court settlements? Uh, is Britain going to allow this oil field in Shetland?
2: Well, first of all, uh, he is signed up to the biggest cut in uh, emissions of any country by 2030. What he does about these oil fields, he has not even said what he's going to do about it. They have come forward. We have said that it is not possible for us to go on extracting new oil. These are not a suitable thing to go ahead with. The
5: coal in Cumbria opening these new coal mines which uh, well, are then, on the table.
2: Well, in that case, he's absolutely right to say that uh, it will be the government to decide, but after the independent report has been given, We are a democratic country with laws. I know that doesn't happen in some other countries, but in this country, you have to obey the law. The prime minister has to obey the law. So he's got to wait until that report comes, and then his minister, Michael Gove, will make a quasi-judicial decision on his own from a judicial point of view. And we have said to him that we expect
5: that decision to say no coal mine in Cumbria. Of course, we can achieve net zero, and we look very impressive here in Britain with net zero, if we're burning biomass, which is burning foreign trees, which take maybe 30 years to uh, reach uh, maturity, and burning them up at Drax uh, power stations, and then we can say we're net zero because this is uh, emitting less fossil fuel than if it were to uh, be burning gas. I mean, you know about the concept of sequesters, and I know your committee has looked into this, Is net zero not a fraud? Should it not be real zero? You and me um, exude emissions.
2: So whatever you do, you can't have zero emissions unless you have a dead planet with no trees and no animals and no humans. What you've got to do is to have the balance of nature, which is that you sequester uh, at least as much of the emissions as people put out. So net zero is a statement about the nature of
5: mankind yes, it, Isn't and it a life. lie? I mean, just take that Drax power station. If it suddenly I'm say, not taking, I mean, you're, I'm you're basically respect. outsourcing you're, the emissions to developing countries in order to say net no, zero. Well,
2: net zero is very clear. We have to sequester, take into the earth as much of the emissions as we put out if we are going to do this job properly. And that's what most nations have signed up to, and it's what Russia has signally failed to sign up to. And I believe that uh, Mr Putin is not here because he doesn't want to hear what the rest of the world would tell him. And that's why they're not here. What I do believe is that regenerative farming is absolutely necessary. I'm a small farmer myself. All I say to you is that if we go on farming as we have been, then the soil will not produce the harvests. We've only got a certain number of harvests to use these modern so-called modern methods, which are increasingly old-fashioned because they deplete the soil and they stop you having the crops you need. So those of us who are talking about regenerative farming are talking about getting what we need uh, from the soil enough for uh, future harvests. If we go on like we are at the moment, we'll only have 40 years of harvest, because the soil would just simply be unable to um, uh, support what it needs to support in terms of, uh, uh, of new crops. And more and more farmers are discovering that themselves, which is why they're moving to a regenerative system.
5: And, and just finally, you said two degrees, that kind of area. How can we be optimistic with a two-degree increase? And that is your most optimistic number well, no, you've I got there. We,
2: I think we've got to get down to 1.5 degrees, because without that... Huge areas of the world are going to be in a very serious position. And I don't believe that we, the richer countries and countries like Russia, should talk about this in a way which writes off most of those countries near the equator to weather which we have never seen before. And that is what happens if you don't get down to 1.5 increase, which itself is very considerable.
5: Lord Demon, thank you.
0: That excerpted interview is by Afshin Ritansi from his program called Going Underground on Sputnik Radio, the current name for the voice of Russia, available online at rt.com, and on YouTube, search for Going Underground. On to NHK Japan. Developing countries were promised money years ago to help them tackle climate change, but wealthier nations have not delivered on their promises. The Japanese government will subsidize factory construction for electrical vehicle batteries. An update on negotiations on the Iran nuclear deal. The U.S. Defense Department is alarmed that China may be increasing its nuclear weapons stockpile above the 200 it has now. The U.S. has 3,750 nuclear warheads. NHK Japan
6: And now over to the latest news from the COP26 climate change conference in Glasgow, Scotland. Developing countries have urged wealthy nations to fulfill their promises of greater financial support to help them tackle climate change. A number of developing countries made the appeal during the event on Wednesday. Developed nations currently have a target of providing $100 billion a year by 2020 to help developing nations address climate change. However, it's widely believed this target will not be reached. The Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development has reported that funds from developed nations in 2019 totaled about $80 billion. Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi told the COP26 summit that developed nations should be pressured to fulfill their climate change promises. Tuvalu's Prime Minister also expressed a strong sense of crisis over the impact of climate change. Tuvalu, an island country in the South Pacific, is increasingly threatened by rising sea levels. British Chancellor of the Exchequer Rishi Sunak told reporters that some nations such as Japan, Australia, and Norway had offered fresh pledges to boost their financial support. NHK has learned that the Japanese government will subsidize the construction of factories making batteries for electric vehicles to boost domestic production of the key component. The funding is expected to go to plants producing lighter batteries and those that extend driving range. The government is also planning to support factories with high production levels. After deciding on subsidy ratios, officials plan to include the cost of the program in a supplementary budget that could be presented as early as this month. The United States is also planning to provide subsidies for building EV battery plants. Government support in Japan and the U.S. is part of efforts to maintain the competitiveness of their auto industries at a time when car makers globally are going electric. The U.S. is aiming for 50 percent of all new vehicles in the country to be electric by 2030. The European Union is proposing an effective ban on the sale of new gasoline and diesel-powered models from 2035. We begin with the latest developments with the Iran nuclear deal. Tehran now says it will resume talks on November 29th to revive the 2015 deal with six world powers, including the United States. Deputy Foreign Minister Ali Bagheri Khani posted about the move on Twitter on Wednesday. He said negotiations would proceed in Vienna to remove what he called unlawful and inhumane sanctions. Talks between Iran and the U.S. have been held through intermediaries several times since April. But they've been on hold since hardline President Ibrahim Raisi came to power in June. Iran has been speeding up its nuclear program since the U.S. withdrew from the deal in 2018 and reimposed sanctions. The leaders of the U.S., Britain, France, and Germany issued a joint statement last month expressing serious concerns about Iran's nuclear steps. These include the production of highly enriched uranium. In Washington, a State Department spokesperson told reporters that Special Envoy Robert Malley will lead the talks. Tehran wants all U.S. sanctions removed and assurance that Washington won't withdraw from the deal again. Separately, analysts with the U.S. Defense Department are sounding the alarm over China's nuclear ambitions. They estimated last year that the Chinese stockpile included about 200 warheads and would double over the decade. Now, they project that by 2030, that arsenal may grow to 1,000. The Pentagon released its annual report to Congress on the Chinese military. The analysts say commanders are modernizing their capabilities in traditional warfare and in electronic warfare, cyber operations, and space. They say military leaders are building at least three silo fields containing hundreds of facilities to launch intercontinental ballistic missiles. U.S. leaders have called on the Chinese repeatedly to join a new arms control treaty along with their Russian counterparts. But the Americans have about 3,750 nuclear warheads. And the Chinese say they'll only talk if U.S. commanders reduce their stockpile to China's level. The analysts say the modernization plans would provide the Chinese with more credible military options for Taiwan. They say commanders have a range of possibilities for military campaigns, from a blockade to an invasion.
0: Those reports were from NHK Radio Japan. They are now heard from 9:30 to 10 p.m. at 7245 and 7355 or on the web at www3.nhk.or.jp. All the times I'm announcing on this show are for Pacific Daylight Savings Time, which might change this weekend, so please adjust them to your time zone. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California 95490. Please, help me continue producing this weekly show which I freely distribute to radio stations and the Internet. We will conclude with Radio Havana, Cuba. The Chinese foreign minister has urged the U.S. to tackle racism against the people of Asian origin. Israeli settlers again stormed the Al-Aqsa Mosque compound in East Jerusalem to infuriate Palestinians than a viewpoint on the so-called good-neighbor policy toward Latin America, stated in 1933 by Franklin Roosevelt. Radio Havana, Cuba.
7: Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesman Wang Wenbin has urged the United States to tackle racism against people of Asian origin. Quote, Discrimination against Chinese has become a chronic disease in the United States. Wenbin made the observation during a press briefing on Monday, having been asked by a journalist to comment on reports that, due to ethnic reasons, Chinese scientists are struggling to gain research funding in the United States Wenbin said that Beijing has noted these reports and has claimed that the discrimination and persecution of Chinese Americans is, quote no longer news, but a long-standing and indelible stain in the economic and social development of the United States. Smear attacks on China and the widespread dissemination of false information about Beijing is inseparable from the hate shown in American society. The spokesman said that the issue has become more problematic during the pandemic, and that U.S. politicians have tried to pass the blame for America's ineffective response to COVID-19 by spreading rumors against China. Bean added, quote, this has led to a sharp increase in the number of hate crimes against Asian groups, including Chinese. He also recalled historic incidents of discrimination against Chinese workers, notably those involved in the construction of the Union Pacific Railroad. Quote, the hard work of the Chinese in the United States did not earn equality nor human rights, but continuous discrimination and injustice. In the latest provocation against Palestinian people and their holy sites, dozens of Israeli settlers have stormed the Al-Aqsa Mosque compound in the occupied old city of Al-Quds and under the protection of the regime's forces. The Islamic Endowment Department in Al-Quds said in a statement that the settlers entered the compound through the Moroccan Gate in the early hours of Sunday to celebrate a Jewish religious occasion. The settlers performed Talmudic rituals at the site. Hardline Israeli legislators and settlers storm the Al-Aqsa Mosque compound in the occupied city regularly, a provocative move that infuriates Palestinians. Such mass settler break-ins almost always take place at the behest of Tel Aviv's back temple groups and under the auspices of the Israeli police in Al-Quds. The Al-Aqsa Mosque compound, which sits just above the Western Wall Plaza, houses both the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque. The Jewish visitation of Al-Aqsa is permitted, but according to an agreement signed between Israel and the Jordanian government in the wake of Israel's occupation of East Jerusalem Al-Quds in 1967, non-Muslim worship at the compound is prohibited. Earlier this month, an Israeli court upheld a ban on Jewish prayers at the Al-Aqsa Mosque compound after an earlier lower court's decision stirred outrage amongst Palestinians and across the Muslim world.
8: During the long history of aggressions that the United States has maintained against several countries in Latin America and the Caribbean, there was a brief truce motivated by the need of the northern power to survive, as well as to improve its battered relations with the southern region of the continent. This halt occurred in 1933 in the midst of the recession that brought the American economy to its knees and with it the political class that governs that country, which alternates between Democratic and Republican ruling, but which has always been and will always be the same thing. I'm talking about the so-called Good Neighbor Policy, declared by then-President Franklin Roosevelt, which allegedly put an end to the postulates of the Monroe Doctrine of America for the Americans that granted the possibility of military intervention in our region. Actually, what Roosevelt intended was not to be confused with this distant cousin, theater who ruled that country between 1901 and 1909. With the economic downturn of the time, the idea was to maintain hegemony over a region, slightly changing the method. For example, the Platt Amendment, which limited Cuba's sovereignty, was eliminated, but the Guantanamo Naval Base was maintained an enclave that exists to this day against the will of the Cuban people. The Marines withdrew from Nicaragua, although all the conditions were created for the assassination of Augusto Sandino, the national hero, and then established Anastasio Somoza-Garcia's dictatorship after a coup d'etat in 1936. Washington harvested the fruits of the Good Neighbor Policy in World War II, when all the countries of the continent declared themselves neutral or allied with the White House. Brazil, for example, let them use the bases located in Natal to attack its African targets from there. The end of this prolonged and bloody conflict was also the end of good-neighbor relations. The United States emerged as a great power. The Great Depression was a thing of the past. It had demonstrated the use of the atomic bomb against Japanese civilians and no longer needed to show a friendly face. Thus, the big stick ideology announced by Theodore Roosevelt in 1901 was once again uncovered. The kind treatment ended in the cycle of interventions, political and military, that populated the second half of the 20th century began again.
0: Those reports and viewpoint were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu, though the podcasts are not updated. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to one p.m. at 15140 and from 5 p.m. to eleven at either six thousand, sixty sixty, or sixty one hundred. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link. And get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 25th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.